stocks, bonds, ETFs, straight out of downtown Chicago. This is Zach's Market Edge. Welcome to Zach's Market Edge, the podcast about investing in your life. I'm your host, Tracy Reinick, and this week I'm returning to one of my favorite topics, the difference between the secular bull market and the secular bear market. I keep hearing all this angst about the stock market and the rally that we've seen off those March lows from the coronavirus sell-off. And now the S&P isn't far off from its all-time highs that it hit earlier in February of this year in 2020. And uh, NASDAQ is very close to hitting its all-time high now. And a lot of people are confused. How could that be when we have 40 million people unemployed? We're probably already in a recession. We have a health pandemic, which has killed over 100,000 fellow Americans. And now there's protests and looting in many major cities across the United States over the death of George Floyd. So how do you get the record highs again? How could that be? A lot of people are talking about um, you know, Wall Street being clueless and uh, this sort of thing. But really, the answer is quite simple. You get back to those highs because the stock market is in a secular bull market. So what is the secular bull market? The secular type of markets differ from the cyclical. Cyclical are your everyday um, type of market movements that we've seen this year. So we had a cyclical bear market during the coronavirus sell-off. Um, or cyclical correction, depending on which index you looked at. If you get 20% sell-off quickly like that, that's a cyclical bull market or bear market. But the secular indicates the long-term outlook. Secular bull markets, they have bullish trends, obviously, and they happen over long periods of time. We're talking years here, five years, 10 years, even 20 years are the secular bulls, also secular bears. Both indicate long-term uh, analysis. And so right now, um, we're looking at the secular bull market here that uh, usually those begin when the S&P 500 takes out a former all-time high and then never retests it. So looking back in the history, we could see that the current secular bull, this one that we're in, that the S&P 500 hit all-time highs in 2013. It also had last hit those highs in 2007. So it took six years before it hit it again. And now we have not retested that 2013 all-time high. It hit it in 2007. It hit it again in 2013. It has not gone back to retest the 2013. It has only gone on to make dozens of new all-time highs. So that is the definition of a secular bull market. Now, some people have been closely watching this secular bull, however, because prior secular bear markets tested the all-time highs three times before they then broke out to the secular bull. This time, we only tested it twice, again, in 2007 and then in 2013. So some people, myself included, I've looked into this as well, have argued we may still be in the secular bear market. But 
I've discounted that now um, a couple times over the last five years. I thought, well, maybe we are still in the secular bear and we're going to go back and retest those 2013 highs. But um, even the coronavirus sell-off isn't going to get us there. Even a pandemic isn't going to get us back to 2013. So it's obvious now that we are in the secular bull. It started at 2013. And so this is year seven of this bull. Now, a lot um, is talked about in the secular bear markets. You get things in those that are, um, you know, uh, things called like lost decades. You'll see a lot of headlines with uh, stocks only treading water or long-term investors going nowhere. And if you remember in 2010, if you were investing back then, there were a lot of financial articles about how poorly investors did who bought in 2000 at the end of the dot-com boom. And now 10 years later, basically were flat to down depending on uh, when exactly they bought and which of the major indexes. But even just looking at the at the S&P 500, a lot of them like to call it the lost decade because it was a negative return. So from December 31st, 1999 to December 31st, 2009, the S&P 500 had an annualized simple price return of a loss of 2.72%. Even with dividends reinvested, the return was still a loss of 0.95% over that 10 years. So you saw all these articles of like, oh, the doom of the long-term investor. It's been horrible. You could have bought anything else and made more money. You should have bought housing or, you know, like investment homes or what, all that. Um, but remember, most people don't buy one time on December 31st, 1999. Uh, you're, you know, to time it like that would be very odd. And then to never put any more money in over that 10 year, 10 year time period would be pretty odd. And if uh, you're talking about like a 401k or an IRA, but especially a 401k that you do have money taken out of your paycheck every month or even every two weeks, depending um, to go into your investments and into like an S&P 500 fund, then you really weren't as doomed as those numbers make it out to be. Now, were, was it good? No. But you did hit new highs in 2007, right? As you were in there, the end of uh, 20, uh, 2009 was including the downward uh, plunge of the Great Recession, which hit lows in March of that year in 2009, but hadn't nearly recovered all of its losses by the end of that year. So a lot of it came at the end of the 10-year time period on the losses there, and hopefully most 401k investors were dollar cost averaging into that. And so they were adding during all of those bearish years because that's what you want to do during a secular bear. So that secular bear lasted 13 years from 2000, the prior highs to 2013 when it tested that 2007 high again and then has never looked back. So, no, I don't believe it ended in March 2009. A lot of people like to say that that this bull market began in March 2009. No, it began in 2013 when it took out those those 2007 highs, not at the financial crisis lows. 
So that's why this secular bull market is only in year number seven, not year number 11, that some people like to talk about. Um, Calling it a bull market from 2009 is different than what the definition of the secular bull market is. So having covered all that, the history of the most recent secular bear, and now we're in the secular bull, let's look at three signs that indicate that we're still in it and that this is a secular bull market. Okay, so the first one is the most important sign. And this is why I had to, I looked into whether or not we were still in the bear, but I had to um, cancel that and say, no, we are definitely in the bull because we had the oil plunge sell-off in stocks. We had a manufacturing recession sell-off. This was a couple of years ago. We had the trade war sell-off, and now we have the coronavirus sell-off. And each time after the negative news hit the market, we still, stocks, the S&P 500, the NASDAQ, the Dow, all managed to hit new highs. And even though right now we're still waiting for the post-coronavirus new high, we are very close to getting there. And in a secular bull market, it's what it will do. It will hit another new high, despite all the geopolitical, economic, and everything else uh, actions, headlines going on globally. It will do it again. So um, that's the most important key thing for the secular bull to continue to go. The sign number two that you really know that this is a secular bull and it's strong is that growth stocks are trouncing the value stocks. And this makes some sense, right? You buy the more expensive growth stocks because um, they're, they're going to new highs and the growth is what's fueling it, the momentum and the growth is fueling those new highs. We saw this in the 1990s as well, the growth trounced the value certainly towards the end of the 1990s for five or six years there at the end. And remember, Warren Buffett was being denounced in the late 90s. Uh, You can go back and read some of those articles from various news outlets, but he was called out of touch. People called him stupid for not buying Cisco or Dell. And he was basically in almost no tech stocks. And they said, you know, he doesn't know what he's doing. During a secular bear market, Warren Buffett is called a genius and a legend, and you see him referred to as that during the Great Recession, during the financial crisis. He got some very good deals in Goldman Sachs, Bank of America, various other banks and um, companies that he was able to make investments in at very good prices, and he's made a lot of money off of doing that. But now here we are again. I just saw an article talking about how he's lost his magic. He doesn't get it. You know, it's it's awful over there at Berkshire Hathaway. Why is he sitting on all this money? He's not in the right stocks. Oh, he has Apple, but nothing else on the tech side. You know, these are the same exact arguments from the 1990s. Now, this could go on for quite some time before the secular bull actually ends. So keep that in mind, too. The attacks on Warren Buffett didn't just start in like 1999 against him in the 90s. It was several years before that they were saying he was lost his touch. So here we are again. Growth is trouncing value. That's a sign of the secular bull market. Sign number three is that 
this, the visionary CEOs are idolized. In secular bulls, they're seen as the geniuses, these visionaries. So in the 80s and 90s, in that secular bull market, which lasted from 1982 to 2000, who were the visionary CEOs that everybody was talking about? They were on the cover of magazines. You know, interviews with them were on like 60 Minutes. There were books being written about them, both autobiographies and other things um, about these all men. And it was, of course, Bill Gates at Microsoft, Michael Dell at Dell, Steve Jobs at Apple, even Jeff Bezos at Amazon, which, um, you know, all of these companies for the most part launched just before the secular bull or during the bull. So Apple was the earliest one to IPO in 1980. The actual bull began in 1982, but eh, it's close enough, right? Then we had uh, Microsoft in 1986, Dell in 1988, and then Amazon in 1997. So you have these kind of new companies with visionary young CEOs that launch. And then in Secular Bears, you don't get as much of that. We did have in the last Secular Bear um, Alphabet launch, but you didn't see... um, many more other than them on the visionary CEO side until you started to get closer to the next secular bull. So then during this secular bull, who do we have on the visionary CEO that everybody's like admiring and, you know, writing books about and interviewing and articles? It would be Jack Dorsey at Twitter and Square. It's Mark Zuckerberg at Facebook. It's Elon Musk at Tesla. And their IPOs, Tesla's the earliest in uh, 2010, so just before the secular bull started there. But Twitter uh, went IPO in the year the secular bull started, 2013, Square in 2015. Um, I think Facebook was 2012, so just right before. And that makes sense. That's the pattern of the secular bears and bulls. So... Keep that in mind. A lot of the signs are still there that we're in it. And while we're in the secular bull, why not try to buy some of the top growth stocks, right? This is what drives the secular bulls. And um, this is where the good returns usually are. So I screened for Zach's number one rank, strong buy stocks. Those are the best of the best. And right now, it's really hard to get the number one rank. You really you really have to be killing it because almost everybody's earnings are being cut and cut hard. So if yours happen to be rising or the analysts are actually increasing their earnings estimates for this year, that's a superstar. So I want those stocks. And then I added on a minimum of a 20% historical growth EPS rate. That's in the past. And then I added on 20% or more projected growth rate for earnings in the future. So really strong earnings in the past and in the future because I want them to have a bit of a track record and I don't want to have them be a one hit wonder or something just, you know, suddenly developed in the company and they're going to do well going forward here. I want them to have a track record, as I said. So um, with the screen, which would be pretty narrow because the number one ranks, we only have a little over 200 of those, but I still got 18 stocks in the screen. So I pulled out five of them to take a deeper look at and see just what's going on with this growth. And I have to say, I was pretty impressed. 
um, as I thought I would be with that Zach's number one rank. The rank right here is really um, stripping out those that have the rising earnings, which is hard to get right now. So stock number one, Vertex Pharma, VRTX is that ticker. 2020 EPS growth is expected to rise 65%. And I took a look at their sales growth too, up 37%. So that's pretty impressive. They made $5.33 last year, expected to make $8.80 this year. They have a market cap of $75 billion. So this is a big, big pharma. And their big hot product is the CF products. Uh, they're expecting 36% revenue growth year over year for that segment this year. And they raised full year 2020 revenue guidance in April during the pandemic. So a lot of drug companies doing well if they're in the right areas. Vertex is one of those, got just phenomenal growth. What does the valuation look like? PE is at 32, so keep that in mind, but we're looking only for the growth and that's what you're getting here. Vertex, V-R-T-X. And then uh, switching over, this is a small cap now from large to small channel advisor, E-C-O-M is the ticker. And they are a cloud-based e-commerce solutions that enable brands and retailers to increase global sales. So they said on their last earnings that they saw holiday level GMV, gross merchandise value levels that were processed on its platform during the pandemic, right? They make most of their money off of subscription fees and they had 78% gross margins in the first quarter. So it's one of those, um, you know, big time margin type companies. Their market cap is just 388 million. Like I said, this is a small cap. So keep that in mind. But earnings expected to be up 62.5% here in 2020. They made 40 cents last year, expected to make 65 this year as on more limited sales growth, actually, of just 2.4%. So I was kind of surprised that the revenue isn't growing quite as fast. PE is just 21 times for Channel Advisor. And so if you're looking for a small cap stock, not everybody's talking about, this might be one to keep on your list. Again, the ticker is ECOM. And then I'm switching over to a couple of gold miners. Now, I know many of you hate the miners for climate reasons, ethical reasons, all of that, and you will never buy these. But I'm including them anyways for those of you who will buy them, because it is interesting that several gold miners appeared on this list of 18 stocks. So the first one is Goldfields, GFI is the ticker there, and they are expected to grow earnings by 31% this year and sales by 25.8% as the price of gold has risen here. They made 42 cents last year in 2019, and the Zacks consensus is looking for 55 cents this year. Big jump for next year, 2021, up to $1.03, so almost doubling again next year. They do pay a dividend yielding 1.3%, and they have a 7.2 billion market cap. This is one of the cheaper stocks on this list, P of just 14, because people hate the gold miners and they uh, don't want to be in them. So that is uh, Goldfields. And then the second one is Anglo Gold Ashanti, ticker AU. They are a little cheaper, PE of 12.7. And they also have uh, Zach style scores of A, the highest rank on the style scores for value, growth, and momentum across all the way across for Anglo Gold Ashanti. 
113% earnings growth expected here in 2020, and then another 47% in 2021. So ticker there is AU and Goldfields is GFI. And since I know many of you hate those and you're never going to buy them, here's the fifth stock. And this one is talked about a lot on CNBC and various other financial sites because a lot of people have been in this one. Dropbox DBX is the ticker. 9.7 billion market cap now, but um, 2020 earnings expected to jump 48% and then another 21% in 2021. They made just 50 cents last year, expected to make 74% or 74 cents this year in 2020. They call themselves a global collaboration platform into, into Dropbox, and that's become more important for work from home and any kind of remote um, working situations. So PE of 30 right now. So not nosebleed levels, but uh, pretty healthy. But this is the growth category. So PEs around 30 are pretty normal for growth. Now, remember, secular bulls see new highs, even with the negative headlines. And um, one of the biggest secular bulls actually in uh, U.S. history started in 1949 it went to around 1970, 71. It depends on wh who you consult and who is looking at which chart. Um, I like to call it that it went to around 1970. So think about what was happening in the 1960s. The stocks really climbed that wall of worry in the 60s to new all-time highs back then as well. We had two Kennedy assassinations, MLK assassination, Vietnam War, and also we had protests and rioting in major cities. And yet we had those new highs until the secular bear of the 1970s. So um, secular bulls just don't care about the headlines. They just don't. This secular bull started in 2013. We don't know when it'll end. This is year seven of this bull. Average length is 11 years. But of course, anything could be less. Anything could be much more. The 1982 to 2000 was 18 years for that one. That's pretty long before it finally blew up. And you'll see some of the signs that it will blow up as usually secular bulls get overheated. The one in the 1960s um, from the 50s into the 60s also got overheated in the late 60s. Remember, that's when Warren Buffett if you use him as an example, when he said, basically, I have nothing to buy. Everything is overvalued. You had the nifty 50 stocks where people were paying anything for the growth. And Warren Buffett actually disbanded like his investment fund at the time. And then you had a super bear market in stocks starting in 1971 through 74. And the rest of the 1970s was just treading water, secular bear market, not fun at all. but. We will see how this one ends. All the signs that uh, we have right now are pointing. It's not anytime soon. And now we have the Fed and Congress throwing trillions of dollars into the economy. That should provide some support and that money has to go somewhere. The stock market loves having stimulus. It always has any kind of stimulus, whether or not it's a rate cut it's actual stimulus checks, it's you know some kind of disaster relief, anything like that, any kind of printing it loves. So don't fight the headlines, don't fight the Fed, and don't fight the secular bull market. And so let's recap those stocks again. 
for anyone interested in some of these like go go growth stocks with all the great uh, growth plus the Zach's number one rank. We had Vertex Pharma VRTX. We had Channel um, Channel Advisor. I'm looking it up now. Channel Advisor Ecom ECOM. We had Goldfields GFI. We had Angle Gold Ashanti AU, and then we finished with Dropbox. DBX. So be sure to subscribe to get all of our shows because we'll be covering everything going on in the economy. I am going to have Professor John Blank, our PhD economist here and Zach's chief market strategist on in the next couple of weeks here in the summer to give us another update about what the economy looks like. Are we in a recession? How long will it last? What is happening out there? He will be here with his wisdom. So you want to get all of our episodes, be sure to subscribe. You can get us on SoundCloud. We're on Apple Podcasts, of course. We're on Spotify. We're on all the hot podcasting platforms, of course. Of course we are. And I know a lot of you are subscribing. So be sure to get us somewhere because I'll be back again next week with some more stocks. This material is being provided for informational purposes only, and nothing herein constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. Do not act or rely upon the information and advice given in this podcast without seeking the services of competent and professional legal, tax, or accounting counsel. Publication and distribution of this podcast is not intended to create, and the information contained herein does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. No recommendation or advice is being given as to whether any investment or strategy is suitable for a particular investor. It should not be assumed that any investments in securities, companies, sectors, or markets identified described were or will be profitable. All information is current as of the date herein and is subject to change without notice. Any views or opinions expressed may not reflect those of Zach's investment research as a whole.